Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. My name is Marshall. And Marshall is on fire. I am on fire. Yeah. Excited. Marshall's excited. I'm pumped. No, I'm not pumped. I'm just like... You're agitated. Well, we were we were having a heated debate just before we started this, yeah. and then we had to call it quits. Yeah. I really don't, to be honest, I genuinely don't have a horse in that race one way or the other i just like to poke the bear it's <laughs> fine I've i like to watch to you it. get excited yeah i've worked with you long enough to know yeah that's you get a kick out of it get me riled up tim get me riled up that's all right all right let's get riled up about i know i got shot i just got by a my major mic. shock from my mic yeah. whoa and, there's another one and the uh Ooh. The Phantom Power is not on either. That's how spicy I am. It's all right. Also charged up I am, Tim. It's just That's, like electricity. Yeah, you should calm down then. I should. <laughs> all right. Let's get charged up about evolution. Okay. All right. So we, we tiptoed into these waters. The soups. The soups. <laughs> uh, in the last episode. Primordial soup. <laughs> this time... We're going to talk about the process of evolution. Mm-hmm. Change by random mutation. Mm. What it means and whether or not it's really a viable solution. Mm. Can we look at change by random mutation and say, I can see where, given enough time and enough chance, that could come to be. Mm-hmm. So, so, explain it to us. What is change by random mutation? Well, so the idea is this. There is, at the basis of everything, a genetic code, right? And so the idea is that, like, over time, you know, creatures or species adapt or change or things happen. Think the, the DNA breaks down or changes in, in specific ways. And so the idea with of evolution through random mutation is that Enough of these changes, beneficial changes, Mm -hmm. happened over a long enough time that we get all living species, that's, you know, bacteria, plants, fungi, animals, everything, evolve from a single common ancestor, something that scientists call LUCA, Mm -hmm. the last universal common ancestor. So the idea is that... Which which really implies that there were other... Common universal ancestors. And that was the last one. And that's the last one. But it doesn't make sense to have multiple yeah. common ancestors. Yeah. By the way, Luca but, is like entirely hypothetical. Yeah. Like they don't have like a fossil for Luca because Luca would hypothetically, according to them, be a, like a bacteria. So it's like whatever. For for those of you who are textual geeks in the theology world, it is the Q of biology. It is. It's a non-existent thing that people posit to make sense of other things. There are two people who laughed at that. So here's the thing. Okay. So first off, just before we get into this, we have to talk briefly about what DNA is and how it works. Sure. Okay. I know we kind of touched on it before, but just a brief refresher. DNA is short for deoxyribonucleic acid and essentially... It's like a molecule that's shaped as a double helix, like a twisted ladder. Mm-hmm. You, anybody, you know, who's watched a science 
movie or sci-fi. You, you know what you know what I'm talking about. It DNA was actually discovered by two British scientists, uh, James Watson and Francis Crick, in 1953. And I've actually been to the pub in Cambridge, England, where they like revealed their discovery to their colleagues. They would do that at a pub. Yeah, because they're British. Of course they would. Mm. Pub is the center of of all life in the uh, in the UK in old blighty. Um, so okay, so without boring you about all the details of what DNA is, something important to know is that DNA is made up of four different nucleotides. Okay, so these are just four substances that are known as cytosine C, guanine G, adenine A, and thymine T. I hope I pronounced those right, but think just think. ACGT, okay? ACGT are the four building blocks that make up DNA, four different substances, mm-hmm. okay? And the easiest way to understand how these work together is to think of them like computer code. So now, traditionally, like the computers that we're using or our cell phones at home, uh, pretty much all the technology we use since computers were kind of invented back around the time DNA was discovered, all of it is essentially just ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. So you can you can think of it as ones and zeros. You could think of it as on and off, open and shut, whatever. Yeah. Now there is some new technology, complex computing that's kind of pushing the boundaries on that. But everything that we use nowadays is just very simply ones and zeros. All the that that's that's the the base of everything. All the information that tells our computers what to do or our phones, what to do. Right. Stacked in groupings of eight. Yes. So and that, bits. So yeah. that it, it does expand. Those are the words. The varieties. The letters right. are one and zero, and the words are these eight-bit things. Or that's probably even still too simple. Yeah, I, I would say letters would be the groups of eight. Sure, yeah. sure. However we want to do that, right? So, but, so just like all of those de- devices have coding, these ones and zeros in specific orders and specific groupings, um, they need that specific order of ones and zeros in order to operate. Our DNA relies on very long, very specific, very intricate orderings of A, C, G, and T, right? So it's actually more complex than computers in a way because you've got four potential variants rather than just two. And you need these to be working. You need them to be ordered in a particular way for our cells to do what they're supposed to do. Right. Just like how a computer program is supposed to do what it's supposed to do. Um, and the basis for evolutionary theory, or at least the, the main argument anyways, is that random mutation of those genes, of that genetic code, flipping the letters of A, C, G, and T in different ways, that actually advances life. And it makes life more complex, more viable than it was before. Yeah, and in some ways, this it's perfectly reasonable in that um, this happens with every every individual born, right? Whether it be plant or animal, well, unless they're twins, whatever. But <laughs> sure. this this happens, and it does create variety, right? Mm-hmm. It happens at its uh, at, at conception where we have a mixing of the letters mm-hmm. inside of the DNA, and we do get variety, mm-hmm. right? That's why we, even if we might have what we would call a doppelganger or right. even a twin, right? It's a, it's a rare thing. Variety still exists because of the reordering of DNA. Mm. 
as DNA makes up our chromosomes, we do end up with chromosomal variations as well. Variations at that point create more substantive changes, mm-hmm. which are rarely beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's it. Yeah, that's that's yeah. that's a way to put it. And and even those chromosomal those are those additional chromosomes are typically through some kind of breaking down of mm-hmm. the system. So it's not even necessarily that there's like new material per se, it's that the material doesn't come together the way it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Right. So that yeah. there's a distinction there because well, we'll get into it more later. But the idea is that this is and this is the the primary idea that through this process of random mutation, you go from a single-celled organism to a more complex microscopic organism to mm-hmm. like like a sea sponge to a fish to an amphibian to a bird to a lizard to a mammal to a human, etc. And like I know I'm kind of oversimplifying it, but that's real. But I'm but that's really it, though. Yeah, and, right. And, like, and I would say. I would say even that is enough to cause me to go, wait a minute, <laughs> right? One, when we talk about b- bacteria, we're not talking about DNA. We're talking about RNA, mm-hmm. ribonucleic acid, mm-hmm. which is a different thing. Sure. Right? A simpler thing. Mm-hmm. And the argument is generally going to be, it's a simpler thing that through random mutation advanced into a different thing, DNA, as... Uh, and, and allowed for an increasingly more complex organism to come about. My problem is, and I know for a fact you're going to agree with me because we've sat at this desk too long, <laughs> the more complex, the more opportunities for problems. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it more stable. Right. It makes it less stable Right. the more complex something gets. Did I not just say, and we were talking about something else, we were talking about a plan of how to record this podcast. And I said, I don't want to add more variables. More variables are just more things to go wrong. Right. Right. I because don't wanna... that's how you feel about technology. <laughs> that's and you're how like, I feel about technology. If you could still hand crank your windows up and down on your car, you would <laughs> gladly do that. Our new car, we got a new car. Our new car, because uh, we got the base model, doesn't have the electric seats. Mm-hmm. I actually love it because it's so much quicker to move your seat to where it needs to be. <laughs> Right, because like our old our you're old not, car, you're not subject to the motor. So our old car is like a twenty year old vehicle, but it was like luxury when it was new, long before we had it. So you've got the motorized seats, but it's like it takes like ten seconds to just like go back. And again, with that vehicle, all these like little motorized like things, bells and whistles, were all starting to break down because the vehicle is twenty mm-hmm. years old. And so when they're like, are you, so when the, the the auto sale guys like, are you sure you want the base model? Like you know, there's still like it doesn't have this, it doesn't have that. I'm mm-hmm. Like, dude. You're just describing more things that are going to break and I'm going to have to fix. Right. That probably aren't going to be covered by the warranty. So, like, actually, I'm okay. Right. And, <laughs> and you're right to say that there's a, a great level of inconvenience in it, right? So, for example, our van has the motorized side doors. Oh, yeah. Um, and in order to prevent you from locking your keys in it, you can't lock the doors unless all the doors are closed and your keys are outside of the van, right? That's an awesome feature. Those two features combined means that when we are, as families are, inevitably running late, we're like, everybody out, everybody out of the van, we got to go, we got to go, uh, slamming our doors, and the kids push the buttons to close their doors, mm. and then we all stand there. 
as the seasons change and the doors close. With with everyone else being like, it's not a big deal. And I'm just the kind of person that, like, I was raised in, under the notion that if you're on time, you're 15 minutes late. Yeah. And so that's just how I live. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is happy, and I'm just, like, boiling inside watching these doors close <laughs> because I need to lock the van before we can go. And I already feel rushed. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh. Right? Yeah. So... The combination of the the two things are good on paper. The combination of the two things can cause a problem. Yeah, yeah. Now so, these are these are minor, ridiculously simplified things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I think it's worth noting that not not only is our changes to be qualified in in the idea of beneficial or or worse for the organism, um, there are gradations in between. Where it really is neither here nor there. Right, right. It's either inconsequential or it's a sidestep or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that, like, you need, I think people underestimate the significant amount of random mutations required mm-hmm. to go right in order for just, like, simple, very simple changes right. to occur. Right. Um, and the way that this makes any sense is with the ins- essential ingredient of time. A lot of time. Mm-hmm. Billions of years. That that much time. Uh, because you need, the idea is that you need enough opportunities for the code to get jumbled in a way that works. Right. Right? That's the basis of it, right? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, the proponents of, you know, evolution through random mutation understand that this thing, you know, is unlikely. It wasn't mm-hmm. initially that way. When Darwin actually first put out the theory, he was like, yeah, this is like this is the this is a very likely thing to happen. And then people didn't really understand how DNA worked and operated and changed. And then over time they're like, oh, this actually is not a thing that's going to happen overnight. But they were already so cemented in the paradigm of Darwinian mm-hmm. evolution that they're like, well, time and right. so that's kind of where, and and the time the time actually plays against itself when you start talking about inconsequential inconsequential natures of change, mm-hmm. right? So anytime you look into evolution, you'll find, and it goes both ways, right? Like the oceans became overcrowded, and so this animal, over time, develops legs and lungs, mm-hmm. right, so that it can survive on the land over the course of billions of years. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa, the land became overcrowded, these things went into the water for food, and over time, their legs, it became advantageous yeah, they became for those whales. who, who yeah. had their legs fused together right. to be able to swim, right? Right. But you can't do that over a billion years. Mm. Like, if you're hungry, you've got a week to find food. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. And and so this organism can't have like slowly dividing fins mm. over the course of generations that turn into legs. Right? Because when it gets onto the beach, it's just going to die. Right. Right? And while it's in the water, it's not advantageous to have legs. Mm-hmm. The way that that works most logically is for this thing to be in the water with legs going, swimming is awfully hard 
for this guy over here compared to his counterparts of the same species. But at some point he got beached and went, hey, it does work better here. Mm-hmm. At which point he would also have to have developed lungs. Mm-hmm. And that would have to be advantageous, right? Like, yeah. there's there's just too much going on, and and when we throw out when when they throw out those things where they just simplify, because because I the the argument from both sides is always the anthem is always going to be you're oversimplifying this, right? Right. Both sides are going to say that back and forth. I would just say, well, let's ask the question: What is the oversimplification? Mm-hmm. Right. So we have an animal. The seas are overcrowded. And it needs to get to shallower waters or even land in order to find food. Um, and over time, goes from gills to lungs. Mm-hmm. Why not both? Right. Sure. How advantageous would that be? Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> this idea that, like, these changes happen over and over again, and right? Like, so somehow the, the fish, which breathes through water, has no legs... And even its eyes aren't designed to see through air. They're designed to see through mm-hmm. water. Becomes an animal that breathes air, walks on land, and sees in a similar way that you and I do. Um, although hopefully better because we both wear glasses. Um, but you know what I mean? Like that is, that's the kind of thing that, again, it's the intermediary steps, mm-hmm. right? It's the new systems that need to be developed. And, and you, you know, and again, like I realize that there there might be some kind of, hypothesis of how this happened but it just doesn't really line up and the thing is and into all this with random mutation is the idea of natural selection which is again just kind of this overarching thing we talked about it yeah it it worked they work together the idea is they work together right so but you almost when you hear people talking about this you almost hear them talking about natural selection having a great deal of assumed power and Mm -hmm. agency no that's 100 percent true that's where i would say evolutionists uh they would argue it's just semantics. Mm-hmm. I would say they are betraying themselves when they talk about the agency of evolution. Right. This is how powerful I think this betrayal is. We were talking about this podcast, what was coming up at the dinner table. Miriam, who is just turned 10 years old, goes, you know what I've always wondered? I've always wondered why people say things like the peacock developed... Uh, these colorful flowers for the purpose of attracting a mate. How can there be purpose if it's by random mutation? That doesn't make sense. Like, if it's purpose, then someone had to decide. Right. And so to call it purpose just seems like the wrong word. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking, bingo. (laughs) <laughs> Which is not the first time she's dropped one of these. I, we're going to take a quick moment here. Just, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Miriam's like three years old, jumping on the couch. We have this uh, lady staying with us uh, because she didn't have a home and, and was pregnant and uh, CAS wanted her to have an address. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's living with us. She's uh, a, an atheist. Um, and she's talking to my daughter and she's... Miriam just out of the blue goes, are you a Christian? And the lady's like, oh, no. And Miriam's like, why? She said, well, because I don't want to be, and I think people should have the right to choose. And then she goes, oh, 
jumps a couple of more times. Do you think your baby's going to be a Christian? And she says, no. Miriam stops, starts jumping again, stops and goes, but what if it chooses to be a Christian? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. And she's just like, what? Right? So (laughs) child logic even says... Mm -hmm. Either it's purposeful or it's random. It can't be both. Right, right. And, and if you listen closely to secular biology, the, like the agency, the intentionality, the outside of the system, the personification mm-hmm. of the process mm-hmm. is wildly apparent. Yeah, I just watch any like nature documentary, right? With David Attenborough or whatever, right? Like, like they're, they're all kind of the same, like, it's this wonder, like it's this sense of what isn't it amazing what natural selection has done for this species, blah blah blah, mm-hmm. right? And it's like so it it's it's funny because it's it's coming from a naturalistic worldview, which mm-hmm. is like matter is all that there is, mm-hmm. and yet still, um, so many of these people just have this inherent need to kind of put some level of veneer of, of purpose and meaning and, and direction. Awe and beauty. And design, awe and beauty. Like, everything's just whatever if if there's no higher being right. or purpose, right? So, yeah. So, I always just find that it's like, it's kind of this idea of like what natural selection likes and doesn't like determines whether a species lives or dies yeah. off. And I think the cooperation of the two things also makes time a difficult factor, Mm -hmm. right? Because in some ways you have to have either you do or you don't, right? Natural selection, so you have the um, an influx of predators Mm. into an area, um, and so those who are able to fly, whatever, are going to escape, and those who can't, don't, Mm -hmm. right? Well, either you fly or you don't, and it's not like you have billions of years, which would mean millions of generations, to develop, right? Like, how slow is this thing chasing you? Right. For you to be like, I was a cat, but I need to become a bird because the dog's after me, right? Evolutionists are crawling under their tables right now, screaming at me. <laughs> uh, but in an overly simplified fashion, right. the notion that they developed capacities, mm-hmm because of natural selection mm-hmm. just says why didn't they just die yeah which brings me to my next oversimplification that i still give more validity to than i should do we love the polar bears when we try to rescue them from the changing environment that they're in mm-hmm. because if we rescue them they will never adapt yeah but if they will adapt by random mutation and natural selection we're harming them by trying to preserve them and their environment because they won't have the capacities to save themselves as they would if we let them go. And well, the argument that that takes millions of years and doesn't have time to happen just takes natural selection out of the equation. Well, even the eco-movement in general, Tim, if the Im- like, who says the impact that humanity is having on the world is negative? It's just changing things. We're just acting according to our 
nature. Yeah. Right. Our DNA is just driving us to do whatever we want, however we want to do it. So who's to say that's wrong and who's to say we should stop doing it? Let the, let the strong animals survive. Let the, let the species that can endure our, whatever it is that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, and I don't actually believe that, but it's just shocking to me. The most shocking thing is that the majority of people who hold this kind of um, extreme environmental position are also naturalist atheists. Mm-hmm. It's just such a weird marriage of views. Yeah, and and and, it, and I only bring it up like this is getting quite ranty. That's fine, and we understand that. Uh, but part of it is just to say like, I I can't satisfy time and natural selection in this way, and and to argue that it's happening too fast. Well, it just says well, that's how natural selection works, mm. right? That's mm-hmm. how environments change. Yeah. And so then we need to give up time. Right? But if they're like, no, if there had if it had changed more slowly, well then that wouldn't be a real pressure in effect. So we have to give up the natural selection. Right. And we and at that point then evolution just comes by random mutation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, yeah that's yep. I just feel like those two collide in a way that are difficult to explain, mm-hmm. and and we should just be careful taking at face value the argument of time and natural selection over the course of yeah. And to get back down into the the genetic level, like again, when when Darwin, I kind of said this before, but when Darwin published his views on natural selection, there was really no understanding about genetics, mm-hmm. and so there's this vacuum of knowledge where evolutionary theory steps in to provide an answer. And the problem that's that's arisen is that, well, now even even today, our understanding of DNA and how it works is is incomplete in a lot of ways. In certain areas, it's mm-hmm. surface knowledge still, and so there's a lot of leaps of faith. I'll use that expression, leaps of faith that need to be made to connect what we know about genetics, what we know about genetics, what we've observed with Darwin's theories of evolution. Uh, because there are there are gaps there, and so so for example, um, here was a great analogy. There's a couple of these going to be coming over the next twenty minutes or so. But um, the idea was that okay, here's how complex our our DNA is. Think of the book War and Peace, which is a two thousand page book, but instead put it on twenty pages, just twenty. And what you need to do is you can read it. First, you read these 20 pages left to right. Then you read them right to left. Then you read them top to bottom. Then you fold the pages in in different ways, make it three-dimensional. And that will also, as you make the right folds, will also spell the right words. And keep in mind that there is actually going to be change over time. So as you're folding those those pages in to, to continue the story in sequential order, that there's actually changes happening as you're doing that. That is the complexity of mm-hmm. what we're talking about, like in a human cell, mm-hmm. right? That, that that's the human genome, and so, like, I think people just and, and so then think think of how complex that is, and then if you're just gonna like shake stuff up, <laughs> like how like how likely is that? Is that going to um, you know, how, how much is that going to compromise the integrity of the story, right? Mm-hmm. Because again, you're not just messing up one sentence, you're messing up the sentence from when you read it left to right and right to left and top to bottom and when you fold in the pages. So like one 
shift actually has multiple consequences. Um, and generally, they're not going to be good ones. They're mm-hmm. not going to be beneficial, right? So that's a helpful way for us to understand the complexity of what, what people are saying is, you know, how things evolved is like, that's a, that's a really risky game to play. Right. And, and I'm, I'm really going to bite my tongue until episode six on like my favorite analogy of complexity versus simplicity. Sure, sure. Uh, but simple life is a more successful life mm-hmm. in, in life forms. Yeah. Asexual reproduction is better than sexual reproduction, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because you don't have to find a partner. Mm-hmm. It can just reproduce. Yeah. So to call that a more advanced, like if, mm-hmm. if people were capable of just like just you, you don't need a partner, and you can create a, a child for yourself. There are a lot of people that would have children that don't have children now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be an advantage. Right. Right. Whereas needing a partner is a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, complexity and simplicity. I, I just don't see evolution into complexity mm-hmm. as advantageous shift. Yeah. Well, one of the things I learned. Uh, while doing the research for this episode was regarding these beneficial mutations because there are actually some mm-hmm. beneficial mutations that even human beings have. Um, we we have these, or some of us do, right? Mm-hmm. But all of these beneficial mutations have something in common. They're, they're, they're beneficial, but they're negative. Here's what I mean by that. So at the bacterial level, when a bacteria becomes resistant, so let's say you have some kind of like antibacterial solution, you know, when it says Lysol kills 99.99%, yep, yep. right? Here's how that, that remaining bacteria survives. It shuts off certain proteins or enzymes that the solution is attacking. So, so what it's doing is it's actually turning a part of itself off. It's not creating a new barrier to beat off the Lysol. It's changing itself in a way where that it's just shutting off that entry point. Okay. So human beings, many human beings can, but many also can't drink milk. They can't digest the lactose. Right. And it's not that I can, so I can drink milk. Okay. Thank goodness. Cause I love dairy so much. I could just, I could just do meat and dairy totally as a diet and be happy, man. But anyways, it's not because my DNA has extra information in its system. It's because there is a, there is a, there is a, a process as you age that typically changes how you digest lactose. So essentially you're supposed to be able to do it as an infant. And then there's a process that, where that gets shut off, but it's actually, sh- what happens is that shut off mechanism gets shut off. And so that's why, so again, it's, it's, it's a beneficial mutation because things are deteriorating mm-hmm. because things are, are stopping or being restricted. That is how all beneficial mutations occur. It's less stuff. It's mm-hmm. never, it never creates more stuff. Um, some people are resistant to HIV. They can't get AIDS. Like they literally just can't. Why? Because they're missing a protein that the disease binds to not because they have some extra set of defense. And this is the thing that blew my mind because I had no idea of this and this was never taught to me at all. So, sorry, I've been talking for a bit, but the, I, I want to just kind of like um, 
put this paint some pictures with this so so let's say okay so and these were ones that i kind of i got from different places in the internet and adapted them a little bit but let's say tim um you know you you just bought a house and you've got you know you've got a living room and then separated by a wall with a rec room on the other side and Lindsay's like i we what we really need is a larger area to host we need a bigger area. Our living room and our rec room alone are too small. We can't have the parties here and the get-togethers, or it would be Bible studies. I know it would be. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, at our house. So what are we going to do to solve this problem? You're going to take down that dividing wall, right? So you've, you've achieved something. You've achieved that bigger room that you wanted, mm-hmm. but not through creating something but through actually tearing something down. That's how these beneficial mutations work. It's like you're driving a car. Well, you want it to go faster. Well, the, the beneficial mutations aren't like adding NOS or a turbocharger to your engine. What mm-hmm. they are is chucking the seats out, <laughs> out the door to lighten the load so that the car moves faster. That is how mutation... So there is mutation, but that's the kind of mutation that happens. Right. Right? Not that, going from a cell to a sponge to a fish to a frog to a monkey to a human. That's not how it works. Right. And... The interesting, the interesting take in that is to say, okay, so that points toward evolution not being a beneficial uh, means by which we complicate, mm-hmm. but by which we simplify. Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about mutation as a subtractive and not an additive, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So what you're dealing with is a complex thing that doesn't have specific vulnerabilities when we bring in what is natural selection, right? It has fewer vulnerabilities. And so there's a, there's a subtraction of those things, especially at the microscopic level kind of a thing, right? Here's my, here's my last, maybe not last hot take, but my other hot take on this. Mm-hmm. Because I, I believe this to be true as well, right? Uh, one of the things that evolution is clouded as is the explanation of uh, variety mm. inside of an ecosystem, right? Variety of life exists because of evolution. Mm-hmm. However, when you take a, a certain kind of organism that is able to adapt to a changing food supply— and some of them die off because they're not able to adapt to the changing food supply or temperature, whatever the variable needs to be. You've done subtraction, which doesn't give you more variety. It gives you less. Yeah. And so I have a hard time understanding natural selection um, in a way that would, that would expound variety rather than making the world a little more monochromatic mm-hmm. and having having fewer varieties mm-hmm. because organisms under natural selection just appear to be so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and, they, I, and, and they I don't are. see I don't see I don't know. I, I don't see organisms as vulnerable mm. as evolutionists would would paint them out, right? Mm, okay. Because because it's kind of like this the whole world is against them and only those who are able to adapt survive. Mm. Yet, in an ecosystem, we have millions Mm. of different organisms 
at any given moment in any given ecosystem, mm. right? Mm. Which means you don't have to be that specific to survive. Right. I was thinking more of like complex animals. Like we've seen like you have, you have the bones of all sorts of different animals that have gone extinct. Mm-hmm. And it's like, again, those like mass extinctions are because that's, that's natural selection doing its thing, but it's, it's, it's not selecting, it's not selecting in such a way that it's going to create variety. It's killing it off. It eliminates. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, you had a few cold winters in a row. So this plant didn't grow and the animals that relied on eating that plant died off. Yeah. Like that's, that's what it is. Right. And we're going to get in. We're, yeah. yeah we're I, I got ourselves. things that I, questions that I want to ask about that, but that's next episode mm-hmm. where we'll talk about the fossil record. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, my, my point was just to say, when you go to the park, mm-hmm. inside of that park, millions of organisms, varieties of of complexities, right? Yeah, all yeah. thriving in the park, right? Yeah, 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 right. And we don't need to all be the same, mm-hmm. right? Um, even if you look at the squirrels in our backyard, which there are many, <laughs> right? As a child, you're told like squirrels eat nuts. I remember being a kid and thinking, well, nuts don't grow on trees sort of year-round, even like not even the winter time. Mm-hmm. What about spring and summer? What are they eating, right? I'll tell you what they're eating. They're eating the vegetables out of my garden. <laughs> yes, they right? are. Because they can eat most things, Yeah. right? Yep. They're actually not just given to nuts, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, which really growing up, I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought that's all they could eat. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But but they can do a variety. Birds can do a variety of mm-hmm. foods, and fish eat a variety of things, and people eat a variety. Right? There's just, I just don't see the sort of micro pressures and the zoomed in mm-hmm. kinds of things that would cause, for example, a finch to need its bill to be reshaped in order to survive. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where that's where I struggle with the whole subtractive evolution bringing about variety mm-hmm. and the pressures of natural selection to do that right like I, I just don't I just don't see that subtractive role as anything that can produce more than a one kind of thing yeah yeah and so people might say well haven't we seen like haven't we seen can we witness mutation and things like bacteria that you know seem to point to things getting more complex sure. or changing in a significant mm-hmm. way. And and you can with bacteria for a few reasons. They have a very short lifespan and reproductive cycle. So their like their life cycle can be like several times in a day mm-hmm. or even more, right? And they mute so they mutate often. And so and what you have is even when a massive amount of the population destroys, so like you kill 99.99%, right? You spray the Lysol that little bit can actually bounce back very quickly, right? That doesn't happen with more complex creatures. Like you, you, you don't, you don't get that. So if you're saying, okay, well, bacteria can mute. We've seen bacteria mutate relatively quickly. So naturally, that's going to be true of 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 animals and and whatnot. It's like no, that's that's not how it works at all. Um, it doesn't, and and certainly not with animals and humans, right? And and so there's testing that's been done. And, and again, like a lot of those things, again, keep in mind, they're in kind of, they're putting bacteria in a very specific place and, and, and submit, uh, subjecting it to a very specific set of circumstances uh, in order to get a desired result, right? Um, but there was a couple scientists who decided to kind of test 
the timing of random mutation. And so what they were going for was how many mutations does it take for a very simple protein, which is just a building block a building block of a building block, right, of a cell. Um, what does it take for that protein to become an almost identical protein that has a slightly different function at the like microbiological level? Mm-hmm. And and what they founded at first is going to sound very plausible. It was only six mutations for this protein to be a very similar protein that did a slightly different job. But they had to be six coordinated mutations, which means it had to be six specific mutations, also in a specific order, within a specific time frame. Mm-hmm. So they could force these mutations in a lab, theoretically, which is what they did. But then they had to estimate and calculate if this were to happen kind of naturally and randomly, you know, how long would it take reasonably to get those six mutations in that order, in that timing? And their best guess was about 4 billion years. Four, 4 billion years. And, and the answer, and the, these were not, like, these were just people just, like, trying to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And, and the pushback was, well, proteins back then were more, you know, uh, more pliable and more, um, uh, you know, more likely to change than They don't proteins make proteins now. like they used to. <laughs> Back in my day, a protein would do whatever you wanted it to do. I had to walk uphill to school in the snow both ways, and proteins would just change willy-nilly. <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean, so this is the scope of, of what's going on here, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and, and and that's at the level of a protein. A protein. Right, and so... Not a cell. Yeah, and so <laughs> you, you throw that up into... and. For me, like I know I've already brought this up once and I'm going to talk about it a ton in episode six on this. Mm-hmm. Sexual reproduction, like you have to have whatever number of things have to be completely changed, all changed at the exact same time in opposing pairs within a single generation, two organisms that were geographically in the same place mm-hmm. and figured out why they were changed. Mm-hmm. And even two is not good enough because without more than two, the offspring would perish, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, or, no, it's true, yeah. Or they would have to uh, have multiple offspring mm-hmm. that would then produce offspring. But we know that incestual relationships create genetic defect mm-hmm. and not benefit. So that would have been problematic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's just it's just too much. And the thing is, like, for for all of these like issues and problems and questions that we're posing, like, I'm I'm relatively certain that somebody out there has some kind of explanation that they would like to give for that. Well, you see, Tim, this is this is how we think it might have happened. But it's always for the especially for these tough questions. It's always a this is how we think it might have happened defying the odds of logic, pushing the the bounds of probability to the absolute extreme. And so you just you don't just have one ex- like astronomically unlikely scenario. You have an astronomical number of astronomically unlikely unlikely scenarios right. working together. And so all of a sudden this is just like this is a, you know this this is a house of cards. But people are so determined to keep it standing because the consequences of questioning it 
leave the leave an opportunity for at the very least intelligent design to step in as an explanation for why we're here. Right. And and one of one of the most common arguments pushed against this is the argument that um there were that that the reason time because I, I I threw out early that time and pressures don't go together. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't have time and the environmental pressures of natural selection. What they would say is, um, like like you said, there's this subtractive thing. Those who couldn't cut it mm-hmm. didn't make it, right? So, for example, uh, the common one, human ancestries kind of things, those mm-hmm. who have the capacity to grow food, survive, and those who didn't, didn't. Um, the problem with that is that's not an adaption of bi- that's not a biological ad- adaption mm-hmm. adaptation. Mm-hmm. It requires two different things coexisting. One of them lives and the other one doesn't. We're not talking about survival of best suited organisms. Mm. We're talking about organisms changing into other organisms. And if we were both there and one of them was just better suited, then evolution over time wasn't the reason they were better suited, right? Mm -hmm. The argument then becomes maybe at some point there was like astronomical variety, like mind-boggling amounts of astronomical (laughs) variety. And slowly we've pared down to what we have. Right. Yeah. Right? It, It argues for a coexistence not a change. Mm. And and so that's that that's the argument that will come a lot. And I just think it's worth asking when someone's presenting this, when someone's making that statement, if you're watching the show and they're talking about this animal's ability to adapt and survive versus this one that became extinct, the argument is that they coexisted even from the person presenting it. There has to be coexistence. Mhm. Right, so it can't be time. Mm. Right now, it can't be time, and it also can't be variety. Mm. And and like you said, the only way this works is with a design, with some level of intention. Mm-hmm. And and when we talk about the improbabilities of biological evolution. Mm-hmm. We have to add to this because because here's what can happen. Like you can look at how things evolved. What are the probability that we would have single cell life evolve into the variety that we have? And like you said, yeah, the numbers even admitted by those who believe in this are just over the top. Mm-hmm. Not even not even numbers that we can really express. But you have to multiply that by the improbability of life ever being. Right. Which was from the last episode. And then you have to multiply that by the improbability of the cosmological argument in the Big Bang, which we talked about as being like these inexpressible numbers. Right. Right? So so don't allow people to silo these things Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. say, well... Uh, the cosmological probabilities of a Big Bang are astronomical, but it happened. Isn't that amazing? 
multiverse. Infinite universe is infinite possibilities. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. So you have to use the word infinite in order to express the probabilities of your way working out. Mm-hmm. So does the person trying to describe how life came from inanimate matter. They will use the word infinite. It is impossible, yet it happened, mm-hmm. right? The evolutionist also has to use these kinds of terms. Yeah. Right? And these aren't separate things. They're not the same thing repackaged. They all play off of each other. Mm -hmm. They all contribute to the exponential improbability Mm -hmm. of what we have existing. Yeah. And when you, you can't even say when you add these things up, because that would be improper application of math. You have to multiply these things mm-hmm. by each other. Yeah. And when you multiply all of these variables by each other, it's just silly. Like, th- that's not to be derogatory. That's just to say, like, the number and the improbability becomes so huge mm. that it's just dumbfounding to even try to conceive of how a thing like that could have come to pass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then to sit back and be like, yeah, it makes sense. This yeah. is what we know to be. Right. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's a great title for a book and a little bit cliche. Um, but the whole, like, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Mm-hmm. I just, I won't play the lottery because I think the numbers are too crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? The odds, of, <laughs> the odds of winning the lottery are so improbable that it, right. most people would say, you're throwing your money away to do right. this. Right? That's a way better way to spend your time than banking on something like this because mm-hmm. the improbabilities are just mm-hmm. mind numbing. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like, and this just kind of struck me, but there are some people, I'm not a proponent of this view, but there might be some people listening who would um, subscribe to, um, uh, oh, what am, why am I drawing, the theological evolution, mm-hmm. right? So the idea that like God guided the evolutionary process. Um, I, I don't hold to that view for, for a handful of reasons, some theological ones, but the more I dive into the explanations for the evolutionary process and see all the gaps where it would require divine intervention, right? Where if, if indeed, you know, um, theistic evolution is true, that, that it is evolution, but it's God guiding every step of the way, um, to, to, to the people who would hold that, I would say, okay, if you hold to that that's, well, it's not really fine, but it, it whatever. Let's just say it's fine. Um, don't hold to that view because you think that God creating the universe out of nothing in six days or whatever is just too outlandish because it would require miracle after miracle after miracle at every single step of the way with every single creature, every single change. Um, so, like, it's not, it's not necessarily less... You're not, you're not, it's not actually like from, from a naturalistic point of view. Like if your issue is, you know, I have a hard time in that kind of miraculous nature or this, that description of God creating the world in, in a very short pa- amount of time, like there's, there's more supernatural stuff that would need to go on for theistic evolution to be true. And so mm-hmm. I was just kind of struck by that and just to kind of keep, keep in our back pockets for a later conversation. But um, yeah, there's yeah. just so much that would need There's just every step of the way. Yeah, the, the challenge that I would, would put forward in that is uh, for the same reasons that we saw liberal theology come about in Germany, mm-hmm. 
Um, the idea was surely academia is right. And so I have to placate my faith to that known conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think taking a moment to look into what is the academic world telling us mm-hmm. is raise, at least raises enough questions to be able to say, I don't know that I have to give that equal footing. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I have to assume that to be correct mm-hmm. and change my thinking to that end. Yeah. Uh, because there are too many really good questions to be asked of these things. Mm-hmm. And so we don't, don't do it because you feel the pressure to say, well, this is what science knows to be true. This is what science is putting forth, mm-hmm. right? But there are, there are not only holes, there are problems, right? And the, the difference is uh, an unknown versus things that are counterintuitive, mm-hmm. Right, and so both of these things exist in in such force that I would say we don't have to assume science to be correct in this area. Well, it's not even really science. Like we keep using the word science, but science is just a tool that we use to make science sen- as a community. No, I know, I know. I just I think that's a good distinction just to make before we close it out. Is that mm-hmm. like science is a tool that we use to make sense of the world around us, mm-hmm. right? But oftentimes when we talk about faith versus science we're talking about worldview we're getting that's philosophy mm-hmm. that's not biology right right so so i think it's just a, a healthy reminder for people to, to to keep in mind that like a lot of this stuff the evolutionary theory doesn't line up with the actual science that we do know that we mm-hmm. know for sure and so it's and and so it's it, the, getting increasingly difficult to to try and bridge the gap between those two things and so mm-hmm. we're gonna keep poking holes yeah a thing here's a thing that just popped into my head. It ha, it's neither here nor there, but anyone who stuck around this long, yeah, gets gets to hear about a a funny meme that I saw the other day. So, in all of these researches, one of the things that came up a lot in the cosmology was uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh yeah. yeah, who's always talking about the cosmological side of things. We brought his name up multiple times in those sure, episodes sure. Uh, about the fact that all of the universes we know it. According to Tyson and and uh, most cosmologists, came from the implosion of a black hole that then expanded into the universe that we have now. Uh, to which point, Tyson uh, just sort of retweeted out, which is a, a common saying: uh, "We are all stardust." Mm-hmm. And there was a picture of his statement of that, and then the top comment underneath it was. Who ever thought that we would come to a day where Neil deGrasse Tyson was retweeting Kelly, um, Katy Perry lyrics? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. Anyway, anyway, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada, and it's produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. Next time, we'll talk fossils. Yeah.